ETL Echo Presents A Dress with Pockets by Pacific Rimbaud. Chapter 4. A Bridesmaid's Dress You Can Wear Again. What you need, said Blaze, perched on the back of a chaise lounge like a smarmy gargoyle, is a phenomenal shag. He'd bit contemplatively into the flesh of a perfectly ripe nectarine, then wiped a bead of juice from his chin with the back of his hand. Fuck you, Blaze, said Pansy from the closet. You keep saying that, and I'm starting to think that you mean it, he said sliding onto the seat cushion. He tossed the nectarine pit into the air, pulled out his wand, and shot a rapid Evanesco at it before it hit the floor. I'd be happy to oblige, as I remain as much at your service in that area as I always hoped to be. But Daphne and I are in the preliminary stages of discussing getting back together, and she would have my bollocks. And she's not going to have your bollocks when you have a grotty shag with Melody over the back of a bench in the tack room tonight. You're going to come back smelling like horses. And it will be because an entirely different sort of ride. Blaze shuddered. I'm not going to shag Melody today. I've sworn against it. My honour forbids it. Your honour is the lowest possible stake I can think of. I'd sooner bet galleons that I'd noticed them missing against Ron Weasley, giving us the play-by-play of his top ten greatest professional Quidditch victories for us over dinner. Then a sickle against you for putting your dick in a willing witch. I have standards, I'll have you know, he protested, pulling on a pair of dress socks. Write me a list of them sometime. You've piqued my curiosity. Ah, thank God, there it is. Pansy emerged from the closet carrying a massive leather box. She set it down on the table, pulled open the lid, and drew out an enormous and indescribably hideous porcelain and bronze vase. What the blazes is that cursed object? Are you still turning up Horcruxes at this late hour? Blaze remarked, staring at it, repulsed. It's the French vase, said Pansy. A prized Malfoy heirloom and one whose display is so critical to Narcissa's sense of having properly married off her only son and heir that she felt the need to dispatch me, specifically, to locate it and place it on the gift table. This, despite the fact that I have the management of the nuptial costumes of the entire wedding party and members of the immediate family, the task of keeping an extremely anxious bride with nothing available to micromanage from bringing up the blue cheese dressing all over the front of her immaculate and discreetly exorbitant gown, and for some reason the bloody wine list. Your tops on wine pants said Blaze. Undoubtedly. And despite such a valuable skill set, here we find me rifling through the fourth best guest bedroom for an antique flower pot. Blaze looked the vase over. It was titanic in stature, its gleaming porcelain surface painted with an oval portrait of a reposing man and woman, both nude, draped in and reclining on explicable swaths of jewel-toned fabric. They were massive, arbitrary bolts of it rolling willy-nilly about the back and foregrounds. The body of the vase was painted a vivid spearmint green, and its basin handles were constructed of gilt brass. The handles sculpted in the shape of a pair of lurid goats who appeared to be lustily consuming long strings of grapes, still on the vine. In the far left corner of the tableau, untouched by either figure, there was a cryptic tambourine. Blaze narrowed his eyes and peered closely. Is she on his... Pansy looked at the vase and shrugged. Is that even legal? To do on a vase? He asked. It's French she concluded irritatedly. Naturally. Anyway, this never is the fourth best guest room. Hmm. Well, I'll be off with the vessel. She hoisted the monstrosity and turned to leave. You seem stressed, Blaze called after her. I hadn't noticed, Pansy said over her shoulder, with all the running around to fetch the vulgar porcelain. I'm getting you shagged tonight, and if I've ever learned anything whatsoever, it's how to get shagged. I don't even need the vase to show me. Pansy turned back and looked at him stolidly. You're an idiot, she concluded, then added. And you might want to see to Draco. He's so wound up he's started drinking fire whiskey neat out of a highball glass. 
and I'm not convinced he's not still pissed from your wretched stagnite. If he's waiting at the top of that aisle rat-arsed, you'll be done with both your Melody and your Daphne problems, because Hermione and Narcissa are going to have you gelded. Shite, 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 muttered Blaze as he dashed across the room to grab his shoes. Pansy hadn't made it as far as the foyer when she was accosted by a massive silver mist horse. The dress is pinching at the middle. Again, sorry, it said in Ginny Weasley Potter's voice. Pansy turned heel in the middle of the hallway, passing a large portrait of a patrician woman with silver blonde hair holding a constipated-looking fawn-colored cat, and flicked up two fingers, palm facing in, when the woman muttered, Trollop, at her covertly as she passed. At the end of the hallway, she passed through an archway and wound her way up a staircase to the second story in the bedroom occupied by Harry and Ginny. It's out of control, I'm so sorry, fretted Ginny when Pansy entered the room. Pansy set down the vase on the seat of a chair near the door, and moved to inspect Ginny in her bridesmaid's dress. Merlin, you're not joking. Should we be alarmed? If we shouldn't be alarmed, I'm never doing this. Pansy drew her wand from her pocket, and began adjusting the fabric covering Ginny's midsection. Are you proud, Potter? You've made your wife blow up like a decomposing sea mammal. Never more so, sighed Harry. Pansy glanced over at him, sitting on a chair next to the window with his stubbled chin in his hand, looking out over the hubbub across the grounds below. You look exhausted, Pansy noted. Scratch that. You look like absolute shit. Not getting much sleep, Harry yawned. I thought it was your wife who ought to be suffering under these conditions, said Pansy. Is she kicking you in all your tender places in your sleep, so you can experience the primal power of growing a human life together? Harry looked at her completely dazed, then stood up and walked across the room, picked up a hairbrush from the bureau, put it down, and picked it up again. It's because we're having sex. A lot, said Ginny. Oh, gods, that's loads better, she added when her dress was sitting easily on her midsection and hips. Is that why you're becoming enormous? Can a man make you more pregnant after he's done it the first time? Pansy said archly. I cannot get enough, hissed Ginny. It's all I can think about. He actually asked me if I wanted to open up our marriage the other night. I've made him cry, and not in the good way. Before Pansy could excuse herself from the intimate details of Harry Potter and Ginny once Weasley's boudoir, a dour-looking house-elf in a tuxedo that fit like a baggy tracksuit, apparated into the room. Is Miss ready to approve the champagne for the cocktail hour? He eyed Ginny warily as she plumped up her burgeoning cleavage in the mirror. Merlin's taint, I'd thought we'd done that. All right, I'll be down in a moment. I just need to deliver the naughty pottery she said, before turning to find that both the French vase and Harry Potter were missing. She quickly popped into the kitchen to taste the champagne, and gave the house elves the go-to to assemble the champagne cocktails ten minutes before the ceremony ended, and apparated into the foyer to begin her search for the boy who lived, only to be put into a coma by his wife. He wasn't in the library, nor was he in the drawing room, billiards room, either of the walk-in coat closets adjacent to the foyer, nor the storage cubby under the stairs which Pansy was genuinely hoping against being the winning ticket. Narcissa was giving last-minute instructions to a fleet of house-elves about the timing of floating candles, and hadn't seen Harry, nor had Hermione's parents, sitting somewhat dazed themselves on a bench in the front garden. It wasn't until she rounded the side of the house, and headed into the rose garden, where the blooms were open, thick and fragrant over every bush, that she heard someone call her name. Hey, pansy. She turned around, and behind her, clutching the ghastly crockery by both goats, was Neville. It was heading into the fullness of the afternoon on a cloudless day in June and the sunlight was mild and warm as a maternal kiss. He was slightly more tanned than he'd been when she'd seen him last over a month before. He looked freshly scrubbed, wearing a three-piece suit in summer gray. It was well cut, but just a hair's breadth too short at the jacket sleeves and the hem of his trousers, as though it had been bought when he was nearly but not entirely done growing. 
He had a pressed white shirt with a dark tie, and a small boot near was pinned to his jacket lapel. His hair still fell loose in curls toward his eyes, but it was now quite short in the back. He had had it cut, and the fact that she didn't know when made it feel like her insides were a bruise she couldn't stop pressing with a curious thumb. I've been told you're looking for this. He gestured at her with a French face. Pansy crossed the length of the gravel walk, feeling self-conscious, which she, as a rule, did not feel under any circumstances, and stepped two arm's lengths away from him. Where did you find it? she asked. And have you located Potter as well? I think he was removing this from the room before his wife got any ideas. Neville looked at her questioningly, but before he could examine the vase more closely, she reached out a hand and he gave it to her. Harry was sleeping curled up around it underneath a bench in the demonstration organic herb garden, said Neville. He looked very peaceful. Beyond a doubt. Pansy clutched her arms around the vase, hoping she was shielding the relevant parts of the tableau. You're here rather early. Her body repositioned itself two steps closer to him. Draco owled me this morning to check on the soundness of a tree overhanging the gazebo before the ceremony starts, he explained, pulling at the cuff of his jacket as though he could bring it down the quarter of an inch it needed with his fingers. I think he's a bit anxious, honestly. But I've been doing consulting work on sustainability for the estate for a few months now, as well. Hermione asked me just after she moved in. These old properties sometimes still run on spell-intensive agricultural practices, some of which can be quite effective in mitigating soil fertility loss. But there's always new... He rambled, running his hand over the shorn hair at the back of his head. And then his eyes landed on the vase. He stopped talking. Pansy looked down and discovered that she was perfectly framing the more actively engaged parts of the couple in a triangle formed between her thumbs and index fingers. Well, they're not bound by conventions, eh? He said, and his cheeks turned precisely the color of the exemplary classic English roses blooming in profusion on the nearest bush. I don't wonder that Potter was trying to bury it under the lavender hedge. It's French. Pansy found she swayed another step and a half closer to him. He looked down at her for a long moment. You look really beautiful he finally said. I've always liked that colour on you very much. Thanks. She looked at his boutonniere, a deep dust pink rose with a spray of tiny pale pink forget-me-nots and sprigs of greenery. We match, she said, glancing between it and her dress. Oh, well, they gave me one for seeing about the tree. A reward for your bravery, she quipped. He slipped his hands in his pockets and looked down to watch his shoe shift against the gravel. You've had your hair cut, she said quietly, and he looked up at her. Yeah, for the wedding. Before she allowed herself to think it through, she reached up to push her fingers through the cropped hair at the nape of his neck. It's so short at the back. He lifted his hand and laid it over hers, holding it still. Please don't. I'm... He cut himself off, swallowed and looked down again. You're here with someone else, Pansy thought. It felt as though her stomach made a kind of revolving descent and she wanted to go curl under the bench in the herb garden with the French vase. My apologies, she said in her most well-bred tone, pulling her hand away. Well, I need to see to this bit of recherche pornography to the gift table, and I hope that any parents have the good sense to shield their children's eyes, she said, and moved around him toward the house. All she heard as she walked away from him were her shoes crunching on the gravel and the whining of the peacocks on the south lawn. Cover for me at the table, Pants, said Blaze, and take this. He handed her a half-empty glass of champagne with a single depressed blueberry and a sprig of thyme next to it in mocking jocularity. Blaze, you are set to deliver your speech when the entree is served, Pansy whispered sharply. You have just shy of three courses to bring it home with Melody and get your ass to the table with your tie on straight without raising a single eyebrow. She just wants to talk, said Blaze. 
I imagine that will be difficult for her, with your cork in her mouth. But I'm sure she'll manage something. Blaze turned away before she finished talking, strolled casually to the east doorway of the ballroom with his hands in his pockets, and disappeared around the corridor. Late afternoon sun poured through the monumental arched ballroom windows, and fell across the gleaming parquet floor in diffused, drowsy bands. It illuminated the agitated dust motes like sparks as the guests filed in after the ceremony, and found their seats at the great round tables circling the room. Pansy knew full well the names on the placards at her table, and after she finished helping guests find their places through a restrained smile, she carried herself resignedly to her seat near the head of the room. Blaze has been dispatched on an errand, but I'm sure he'll finish up in record time, she told Daphne as she slid primly into a gilt chair next to the wall. What sort of errand? Daphne drained the last of her champagne and handed the empty glass over her shoulder to a waiting house elf without disturbing a single one of her gleaming honey-colored hairs. I believe he's been asked to take care of something back at the office, said Pansy. He's trying to avoid getting caught with his pants around his ankles on a project. When it's business time, it's business time, added Theo, sitting on Pansy's right and pinching at the beak of the folded napkin swan sitting in the middle of his plate. Harry sat to Daphne's left, and Pansy had noted with gratitude at the ceremony that someone had managed to see to it that he got a shave. Judging by the way he was subtly vibrating, they had put him in the way of a pot of coffee as well. Ginny sat on Harry's left, sipping chilled water with a slice of lemon and a long curl of fresh ginger, and massaging her hand over the cantaloupe she appeared to have stashed in her bodice. She was asking Katie Bell about childbirth. How long does it take for everything to get back to normal, with your bits? Ginny glanced at Harry like he was a slice of cheesecake a waiter was threatening to clear away before she had done with it. I mean, how long until you can have penetrative vaginal sex again? Katie pinched the stem of her wine glass between her thumb and index finger as an elf filled it with a dry, unoaked chardonnay, and gave a soft snort of amusement. Well, I was single at the time, she said, but if I'd had a partner, the midwife told me four to six weeks. That's outrageous, interrupted Ginny. That can't possibly be medically necessary. Harry downed half his wine in one swallow. Gods, Ginny, leave it be for half a minute. Some people are trying to enjoy the amuse-bouches over here without thinking about the condition of your lady parts, said Ron around a mouthful of miniature savoury tart tartin, made with garlic scapes, onion, and early potatoes. He sat to Katie's left, and had somehow managed to procure a pint of lager. I think it's very beautiful, offered Luna, sitting bolt straight between Ron and Theo. She bit into a fresh June strawberry from a massive handful she'd seemingly picked from the garden sometime between the end of the ceremony and now. Bringing forth a new life from your body, like lambing in spring, only you don't eat the placenta. Ron turned white and set down the chevre-stuffed courgette flour with a delicate herbed breading and a drizzle of balsamic glaze that he'd just bit into. Luna gave him a somnambulistic smile. Not straight away in any case, she concluded, and popped a cherry into her mouth. The wine's really lovely, Pansy, said Neville, and Pansy finally forced herself to look over where he sat at the other side of the table. This was a good choice. He was sitting to Katie Bell's right, holding a glass of Chardonnay in one hand and Katie's toddler son Michael in his lap. Pansy had carefully avoided looking at the three of them from the moment they walked to their seats for the ceremony together, because looking at them made her feel like apparating herself back to her townhouse in London to spend some quality time being sick in the luxurious surroundings of the master bedroom. Thank you. She'd have told him that she found it on a short trip through Burgundy, but he already knew that, because he'd been there. I thought it was rather special. Neville nodded, and his outbreath ruffled the fine blonde hair at the crown of Michael's head. As the order of plates disappeared from the table, and were replaced by shallow bowls of pumpkin soup, Blaze came sliding into his seat and locked his gaze on the place setting in front of him. He looked stricken. That was extraordinarily fast, even for you, remarked Pansy. She's seen the vase, Pans. She thinks you can actually... 
He trailed off and looked around him like he expected an acromantula to drop down on him from the ceiling. You have to help me. Tell her you can't do that. I will do no such thing, she said out of earshot of the rest of the table. You've made your bed, and now you've got to lie in it, if lying down is still possible once Melody's through with you. I'll be sure to send flowers to St. Mungo's. Done your bit, Blaze, Daphne sipped from her soup spoon. The contortions that are expected of those in Draco's employ are shocking. We're all eager to serve in any capacity we're reasonably able. Blaze shook his head and looked around the table for the first time. Longbottom, he enthused. When I heard you were over here looking like a daddy, this is not what I pictured. Both senses of the term apply, pronounced Theo from around the rim of his glass of Sauvignon Blanc. Here, here. Ginny slapped a hand down on Potter's thigh. He looks so natural holding a child, doesn't he? Said Katie, smiling over at him. Pansy took an active interest in the prodigious floral display arranged in the center of the table. Nauseatingly so, said Blaze. Although I've never understood why a man holding a child should have women queuing up to drop their knickers. Everyone knows that children are the world's greatest cock blockers. Harry looked up at Blaze with hope burning in his eyes. Neville's been lovely, said Katie. It's been hard to get out, but he's been willing to stay in with Michael from time to time, and Michael just adores him. Plus, he makes a brilliant breakfast in the morning. She grabbed Michael's blubbery fist and gave it a gentle shake. You ready for another one, a little dark-haired chap? Ron swiped a finger along the bottom of his soup bowl. Will they do a refill on this, if you ask? It's unbelievable. It's a wonder the Malfoy fortune isn't built entirely on soup. Just a sprawling dynasty of soup barons. Katie blushed. We've only really just begun to have those sorts of conversations, she said. Although we're set to move in together when my lease expires at the end of August. Excuse me, said Pansy tersely, shooting up from her seat. She now genuinely thought she might be sick. And if that was the case, was ready to make a break for the French vase. I'm going to check on. She left it at that, and walked quickly out of the ballroom. It was just past the summer solstice, and the sun would still be up until well into the dessert course. But the darker reaches of Malfoy Manor were lit with scores of fragrant white beeswax tapers that cast warm fingers of light in every brushed and polished corner of the house. Beside a plinth supporting a bust of Lucius outside the door to the study in the west wing, Pansy managed to find a shadow to curl up in. She slid down the wall, pulled her knees up to her chin, and pressed the heels of her palms against her eyes. She could hear the distant clink of cutlery and glasses, and the rushing footsteps of the house elves as they worked furiously to keep the dinner humming along, and tried very hard not to think about tiny little boys with blonde hair, and their mummies, and their mummies' special friends that stayed over sometimes and made the breakfast. The image came, unbidden, of Neville standing at the stove. Those criminally awful Gryffindor pajama bottoms were slung low around his hips, hair short at the back, and a catastrophic mess of curls at the front. He smiled over her shoulder at Katie Bell, sitting at the breakfast table wearing one of Neville's white t-shirts. Pansy sucked in her breath so hard that she could hear it reverberate around the empty hall. I had an entire speech for this, she heard someone say. And I honestly believed I was never going to need it. Pansy looked up, blinking wetly. Narcissa was approaching from a door leading out onto a balcony overlooking the topiary gardens on the north lawn, tugging lightly at the front of her gown. She crossed the hallway and, to Pansy's surprise, came down to the floor and sat, with her skirt spread demurely over her legs and her ankles curled elegantly to one side. Pansy looked at her, and knew that her face was an open book. Narcissa took a long moment to read it. Darling, she said finally, and pressed a cool hand against Pansy's cheek. Thank you for everything you've done. It was only a wine list, said Pansy, pulling at the hem of her dress. And you know I would do anything at all for Draco. Anything. All he has to do is ask. I do know, 
said Narcissa. And we both know it's been rather more than a wine list. The intensity of her gaze told Pansy that she meant more than even the wedding clothes, the table placards, and the shuttling about of adults-only vases. I never apologized for my son's behavior, she continued, her tone shifting to something quiet and open that Pansy wasn't familiar with. I can't know the extent of what happened between you two, but it can't have been easy for you. To have, I'm quite sure, hoped, to have been led to believe that... Pansy put a hand on Narcissa's arm to stop her. I forgave Draco for all of that a very long time ago, said Pansy, and I am genuinely delighted to see him happy today. Narcissa looked deeply relieved, then a shadow of perplexion crossed her perfectly made-up brow. She tilted her head in curiosity. You know, she began, as though trying out a new idea. I have an old friend, someone from Lucius and my days at Hogwarts who has made a very respectable fortune for himself on racing brooms. He chooses to spend that wealth on worthy causes. He's inordinately fond of nature, a penitent inclination, I suspect, stemming from the necessity of chopping down trees in order to make the things that make him rich. He gives out a very great deal of grant money to support the work of research scientists and conservationists. Pansy twisted her fingers hard in her hemp. One of his pet favourites is young Neville Longbottom, of all people. The war hero. He apparently does some kind of work with trees. Hermione has, I think, brought him round the manor on similar lines. I believe you're at Hogwarts together? Pansy nodded, her mouth set in a firm line. I understand Neville is sent all over the world. As Narcissa spoke, she continued to scan Pansy's face, studying, categorizing, carefully turning over the pieces of the puzzle. I had lunch with this friend, about two months ago now. He mentioned in passing that he'd seen Mr. Longbottom, a few weeks before by chance, in Paris, walking along the Canal Saint-Martin. Pansy's breath completely stilled. He was with a witch, very young, very beautiful. He said they looked terribly in love. Those are his words, not mine. And that they made him miss being young himself. I will admit I had wondered, from what he described. Narcissa paused seemed to take in Pansy's hair and face, then began on a new track. You know, I was enormously proud to be sorted into Slytherin, she said. So many advantages, so much power. But I wonder now, as I've grown older, stepping outside on occasion with what I refuse to accept as hot flashes just yet, she smiled ruefully, whether there isn't something to that famous Gryffindor bravery, to that forthrightness that they have. I wonder... She watched a candle briefly gutter in the draft from a distant door. If they don't gain something that we all miss with all the risks that they seem to find so easy to take. Narcissa smoothed her hand over her perfectly swept blonde hair, laced with threads of silver as she moved through middle age. Now, she said, rising with impossible grace. I believe they're starting in on the appetizer course, and if I'm not mistaken, you've chosen a gorgeous Beaujolais. Pandy took the hand that Narcissa extended to her, grasping it gently, fingers pointed down and accepted her help to stand. A shag, said Blaze too loudly. There are dozens of eligible wizards in the room, Pans, and I swear I will find one of them to turn that frown upside down. I despise everywhere that you just said, especially the last few, and also you right this moment, beyond anything. Pansy stabbed into a stack of endive and butter lettuce. Oh, I could use a shag, said Ron, pushing bits of frisé off the side of his plate. Not with you, Parkinson. No offense. Pansy stared at him. 
absolutely none taken whatsoever. Hello, what's this in the dressing? asked Blaze. Is that dirt or a mustard seed? A dirty mustard seed? It's full of beautiful secrets, said Luna. The elves literally wash every leaf, Blaze, three times in three different water temperatures for this salad. It's massaged like a rich, lonely housewife. It's a very nice, very clean salad, said Pansy. And mind yourself with the rosé. Are you quite sure you're going to be able to give your speech without adding any ornamentation? There's a script, and we've practiced, and I'll remind you that Draco's always armed. I think I could take him, said Blaze, if I had to. Pansy took his glass, moved it to the opposite side of her plate, and signaled to a house elf for a vial of sobriety potion. Have you been single for very long, Pansy? asked Katie Bell. Neville was walking around the table in circles with Michael, who was picking up and inspecting every fallen crumb and iota from the floor, and preventing him from putting them in his mouth. She's been violently single for well over a year, said Theo. Pansy felt her skin flush. Neville sat back down, pulled Michael into his lap, pulled a small packet of crackers out of his vest pocket, and spread five of them out on his plate. Michael fisted each one of them in turn, and coolly eyed the rest of the table as he shoved them possessively into his mouth. Pansy blushed harder, crossed her legs, and began to bounce the heel of her nude pump against the floor. She could feel Neville watching her, and she refused to look back. I was single for quite a long time myself, said Katie. I wasn't in a rush in any case, but it's a bit tricky when you have a child. Mm, said Pansy, kicking her heel faster. I'm lucky that Oliver was open to the idea of seeing someone with an infant, Katie continued, but I suppose we'd already known one another for ages. Pansy stopped moving. Oliver? She said. Mm-hmm. Katie tipped back the last swallow of her rosé. Oliver would, said Pansy. She looked back and forth between Neville and Katie. Michael had finished his crackers and moved on to sucking on the two middle fingers of his right hand. Neville sat completely frozen and was openly staring at Pansy. Your boyfriend is Oliver Wood, repeated Pansy slowly. Her skin prickled. Oh yes, I'm sorry. I suppose you weren't seated here when we did the catching up, said Katie. We've been together since Michael was six months old. But you're here with Neville, said Pansy. Yes, we were both invited separately. But Oliver's playing a match this afternoon, so Neville offered to come with me and lend a hand with Michael. Toddlers are an absolute nightmare at things like this. But Hermione insisted that I bring him. I think my being pregnant had some kind of catalyzing effect for her getting together with Draco. And I wonder if she's feeling a bit broody. Pansy finally turned to Neville, who looked like he'd been petrified. Oliver Wood is your flatmate, she said. He is, answered Neville. I knew that, she continued. You did he said. Pansy looked back at Katie. Katie Bell, the girlfriend of Oliver Wood, Neville Longbottom's flatmate. So Neville doesn't fuck you, then make you breakfast in the morning, said Pansy. Ron sprayed a mouthful of lager onto his discarded nest of frise. Michael pulled his wet fingers out of his mouth with a pop and said, fuck you, with perfect articulation, then jammed them back in his mouth again. Oh, gods, Katie laughed. What on earth gave you that idea? Merlin Pansy, what a thing to say. Neville's clearly been seeing someone or someones. We're not sure. He comes back from all his trips positively glowing, at least until recently, but he's never really spoken about anyone. He does watch Michael for us now and again, though, and he makes a fantastic breakfast. You've been sitting there thinking this the whole time, Neville asked Pansy. He looked totally dumbstruck. Pansy said nothing. She felt hot all over and a little dizzy. She picked up her water glass, drained it entirely, and watched it magically refill. 
Find a man who will cook you breakfast the morning after and lock it down. I can't honestly say that I blame you for avoiding all that, though, Pans, said Blaze, now resoundingly in his cups. I'd be put off relationships as well if my lost two spent every minute of their time in bed with me pretending I was another person. I'm frankly shocked that Draco never came right out and asked you to apologize yourself. Pansy flashed him a curdling glare and slammed the vial of sobriety potion down in front of him. That's not on Blaze, said Neville firmly. You're right, valiant Longbottom, Blaze waved his hands in defeat. Too far, I apologize. He downed the potion. But you've been absolutely miserable for the last month, Pans. I'd just like to find the bloke out there that would love nothing better than an acerbic brunette with an adorable little bum and lovely scant B-cups, if my memory from Saint-Tropez in the summer of 96 serves. They're understated and exquisite, said Theo. I certainly never imagined a different set. Do you know anyone who'd be a good fit for our pans, Longbottom? said Blaze. He'd need to enjoy the sensation of having his balls wither up under her crushing gaze. But I personally quite understand the appeal there. Oh, I'd pay for it if she'd let me. I'm not joking in the slightest. Pansy is more than capable of figuring out what she wants for herself, and when she wants it, said Neville dryly. Ron, I see the team's done well this season. How's the elbow holding up? Michael squealed and reached his plush arms toward his mother, and Neville helped him cross over into her lap. I don't know why you keep trying with her, Blaze. She seems perfectly content to be single, Daphne interjected. Not everyone feels the need to fill up every empty hole in their life. I do, said Ginny, licking vinaigrette from the tines of her fork. I think Pansy made her position on hookups rather clear, after the incident at the bar in Mayfair last autumn, added Theo. Very nearly had the DMLE brought in over it, if I recall. I put it back, said Pansy crisply. Sure, but a bloke's going to miss that, even for a moment, said Blaze. What was that spell you finally came up with? That you think none of us knows about? asked Theo. Keeps fellows three and a half feet away at all times when you're at a party. I like watching that one at work. It's such an elegant little bit of magic. They look so confused when they just sort of flow around you. Pansy wanted to toss her water in Theo and Blaze's faces, let it refill and do it again. Even better if they got bits of lemon wedge straight in the eye. Neville looked between Pansy, Theo, and Blaze, with his eyes slightly narrowed, like he was following a complicated Quidditch play. How long has Pansy been... hostile to the idea of blokes asking her out? He asked. Oh, ever so long, said Theo. I think we really noticed it in the middle of last spring, but it had probably going on for a bit by then. I thought for a while things between us, or God forbids what went on with Draco, had spoilt relationships for her, but I think she's just focusing on work and sorting things out personally. Right, Pans? Pansy was so livid she couldn't speak. And she's been in such a rush to get away almost every weekend, Theo went on, spending time exploring herself, travelling, which, good for you, darling. Figure out what you want for you. Luna turned to Pansy. Find the self, explore it, and then let it go. She smiled. The salad was grand. I liked the dirty bits. I could have done with a bit less moss, said Ron. As the salad plates disappeared, Neville sloshed the last mouthful of rosé around his glass, then set it down. Then he picked it up, drank it, and set his glass down again. Then he picked up his empty glass and set it back down. Then he sat and did nothing at all. Hey, a pansy, he said, finally. What? she answered. I'm in love with you. The table went quiet. That's absurd, she spat. She could look at nothing except her shoe, slapping against her heel again. After a beat, he continued. 
Pans? What, Neville? Are you in love with me? Pansy stood up suddenly from the table and threw her balled-up napkin into the middle of her plate. Of course I am, she shouted, and stomped the twenty paces to the nearest doorway. It was another thirty paces to the closest door that exited to the grounds, but she didn't count the number of steps she ran to get to the demonstration organic herb garden before he caught up with her. The lavender hedge was filled with heliotrope blooms, stalks bending under the weight of coin-sized bumblebees, their furred black and yellow bodies shrouded in veils of pollen. To the west, the sun rolled slowly down the lid of the blue sky toward the rim of the horizon. Pansy, wait, please, he said. She slowed and stopped. Why are you running? he asked. There's no reason to, is there? She turned around and glared at him. He'd removed his jacket at the dinner table and stood in his vest and shirt sleeves. His hair was mussed, and the jog into the garden had brought color into his cheeks. Pans, he said, and then stopped. He looked away from her, considering, and then turned back. What do you want? he asked, and the way he said it was soft and full of a patient, waiting sort of love. Like a door that would always have been held open to a room she'd never wanted to leave to begin with. She could feel her pulse thrumming in her ears. I want to keep you, she bit out, then clamped her mouth down tight. Then keep me, he answered, and she saw that he was confused, like two people holding on to one another was the simplest thing in the world. She could only stare at him and fight against the unfamiliar way her mouth pulled down at the corners and trembled. The hard stone was back in her throat, and she swallowed around it. Oh, I've been yours for ages, he said, tired and exasperated and easy as everything. Then why didn't you say? She asked, her voice working hard to hold itself together. I thought you didn't want me to. There was an amused kind of incredulity pinned to his answer, like they'd both made themselves ridiculous and he couldn't entirely stop himself from laughing at them. I'd have said it straight away if I'd known it was all right. When? When would you have said? Tokyo, he answered. Milan. God's pansy. I touched you and it was over for me. There hasn't been anyone else. She made a cursory swipe of her hand beneath both eyes. Don't cry, Pans. It's simple enough to fix this. I'm not crying. That's not something that I do. All right. He nodded, and his face was so fucking fond. I'd like very much if I could touch you, he said. Can I come over there? She nodded, and as he came close enough to pull her against him, she breathed for the first time in weeks. He brought his face to hers his lips leaving a string of benedictions to the tops of her cheeks to the line of her jaw, and when his mouth finally moved against hers, he tasted like wine and salt. Pansy Parkinson, he said softly. Never Longbottom, she answered. I like your dress, he whispered, and she smiled against his mouth. Fuck, fucking fucked. And he was fucked too, so it was all right. All of it. Always. Her hands scrambled through his hair, and she was ambushed by her own desire. On the other side of a daft, cowardly, broken, unbroken heart, she needed to touch him, and needed him to touch her. Everywhere. Immediately. I want you, she said, licking at him, and there was a new velocity to both of their movements. Where? he breathed. Do you want to go? She drew a blank. Not here, she said, and after considering for half a second, he apparated them both. It was dark and smelled of camphor and Bertie Bott's beans. Shit, muttered Neville. She felt him pull his wand from his pocket and flick it into the darkness, a lamp flared to life on the little desk by a curtained window. Pansy's mouth was immediately on his again, and she wanted his skin, all of it, 
under her hands and against her body. She pulled at his tie until it hung loose and began to unbutton his vest. Off. Get it off, she ordered. And for a moment he helped her, but then he suddenly changed his mind and stilled her hands in his. The reception plans, he said, brushing his knuckles against her lips. They'll be so disappointed if we miss it all. We don't have a lot of time. She groaned in frustration, but grumbled, fine, and moved to unbuckle his belt instead. While her hands fumbled with the leather, he turned them around and backed her onto the surface of a spool-turned four-poster single bed and brought the length of his body to cover hers. Gods, I missed you, he whispered against her mouth. I missed you too, she said, so fucking much. And his hips jerked. She wrapped her legs around his waist, and he reached back and slid one hand from her ankle up her calf, over her knee, up her thigh, over her hip, and then he stopped everything, completely, and sat up to look at her. Pansy, he said urgently. What? You're not wearing any knickers. No, she said, and sat up to lick at his throat, because she wanted him to start, not stop. Why aren't you wearing any knickers? I knew. She slid her tongue over the dip at the base of his throat. That I was going to see you. She pulled the top button of his trousers free. And I thought, she continued, popping the next button, that if there was even a chance, the third button opened. I'd like, she finished the last one, to be ready. Fuck. He dropped his forehead to rest against her sternum. You all right, Neville? No, he replied. But I will be in a moment. She reached into his trunks and wrapped her hand around him. Fuck, he shouted. And when she began to pull firmly at him, he went silent and could do nothing but breathe hard into her neck. As she stroked him, he began to rock his hips into her hand, and she felt her arm scratch against the red crocheted afghan with thin yellow chevron stripes covering the bed. She pulled his earlobe between her lips, and the defeated moan he sent into the skin at the side of her throat made her smile. There was a Gryffindor pennant hanging on the wall behind the bed, and what looked like a series of highly detailed herbology prints. Neville. Yeah, Pants. He breathed hard on a firm downstroke. Are we in your bedroom? He didn't answer for a moment, then affirmed. Yeah, sort of. He pulled out of her hand, pushed his trousers and trunks down to his hips, and then rolled onto his back and tugged her over to straddle his hips. This is my old bedroom, he breathed, at my grand's house. Pansy stared at him. You brought me to your grand's house, she said. He shifted to line himself up with her, lifted her up by the hip, then pushed the tip of himself inside. All of us going to come back to our flat soon, he panted as she took over, lowering herself onto him. And I panicked. This was the first place I thought that we could be alone. Grand's in Brighton at her sister's. Fuck, 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 slow down. Why are you so wet? I haven't been with you in over a month, she shuddered as she reached the bottom. I can't do any of the right things by myself. She began to roll her hips, and he grabbed her firmly to make her sit still. Stop, stop, please stop. I'm not going to last. This is hitting a lot of really weird buttons for me that I didn't know I had. He closed his eyes and breathed very slowly. I've never had sex in here, he continued. But I thought about it in here. A lot. Pansy smiled so hard it hurt. Can I go down on you? He asked. No, she answered sharply. I want you inside me when I come. God's pans, he groaned. I don't know. I'll do my best. What do you need? Just you, she breathed, falling forward to kiss him. They found a rhythm that made her chest flush pink and her head fall back. 
Neville, she said after a while. Yeah? Come here. He sat up, wrapped both arms around her waist, and pressed his chest to hers. She pushed her fingers through his freshly cut hair at the back of his head, and lowered her mouth to his ear. I'm about to come, her voice quavered, while riding your cock. Her breath came fast, on your fucking crocheted Gryffindor bedspread. Oh, Pansy, he sighed, and when she locked her ankles together against his back and trembled, all he could do was watch her. As she came down, rolling her hips against him slowly, she circled her arms around his head, pulled his mouth up to hers, and kissed him. I love you, she whispered. He came instantly, and bit her shoulder so hard it left a bruise. When they walked back into the ballroom at Malfoy Manor, holding hands, Neville's tie still hanging loosely from his shirt collar, Blaze was standing at the head of the room just finishing up his speech. And I wish them both the greatest happiness. He lifted his glass to Draco and Hermione, sitting at their table at the head of the room. This was the end of his speech, which he had written and rehearsed. He had been thoroughly warned against embellishments by Pansy at the end of one of her most withering glares, which had made him smile in that way that made her very angry, which had made her tell him she was going to tell Daphne to show up at the office right on time for his 10.15 dictation with Melody, which made him apologize, despite the risks to himself. He continued his speech. And let us all remember that as tempting as some ideas may be to us, as alluring as the siren call of some thoughts from other places and other times that arrive to us upon strange vessels may be, that not everything we think we may want in this life makes sense, or is safe, or is even possible. Harry looked up at him from his seat at the front of the table, nodding like an acolyte. If we can keep our heads and allow the men in our lives room to breathe, he was going for broke. We can all go home tonight feeling like tomorrow is possible. Thank you. Pansy glared, until Neville squeezed her hand and shrugged. What's for dessert? he asked. At 11pm, the orchestra had played its way through the stodgy traditional wizarding dances, and cleared the floor for a five-piece rock band that played whatever anybody asked them to, wizarding or muggle or anything in between. Should I stay or should I go now? shouted Neville, flailing about on the parquet. Pansy jumped up, wrapped her arms around his neck and her legs around his waist and said, Stay! Stay! And then she kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. At 12.30 a.m., Pansy sat in an empty bathtub belonging to the third best guest room, with Hermione, Ginny, and Luna, passing around a bottle of champagne to everyone but Ginny. Well done, Hermione, said Ginny. Thank you, said Hermione. And thank you for never complaining about a dress you'll never wear again. Oh, she'll wear it again, said Pansy. Yes, I will, Ginny agreed. Hermione looked at both of them inquiringly. It's pajamas, said Pansy. What do you mean? Hermione asked. Transfigured pajamas, said Ginny. A very nice, very comfortable, very expensive nightdress. Pansy pulled her wand from her pocket and showed her. You're a genius, Pansy, said Hermione. Thank you, said Pansy. I like to let it all breathe, said Luna cryptically, swigging from the bottle. At 2 a.m., Pansy was curled up in Neville's side, draped in his suit jacket, on a bench overlooking the lawn sloping down to the lake and the gazebo. It was still drenched in flowers and now lit with countless floating candles. There was the sound of an argument, shouting, and something like falling boxes and glass breaking. And then Harry Potter was running across the lawn as fast as Pansy had ever seen a human being running, gripping the French vase by its handles. Behind him streamed Draco, red in the face, tie undone, and wand out. And behind him was Blaze, clutching at Draco's wand arm and screaming his encouragement to Harry. Go, Potter! Go! Go! To the lake! 
to the lake. Pansy turned into Neville's side, cinched her arms tightly around him, closed her eyes, and sighed contentedly. He drew his fingers through the back of her hair and leaned down to kiss the top of her head. She heard a distant splash. Thank gods, said Narcissa, leaning against the open door to the ballroom, sipping a glass of Sauternay. I've been trying to get rid of that abomination for years. Thank you for listening to Address with Pockets by Pacific Rimboard. If you enjoyed this reading and would like to stay up to date for other chapters and stories from ETL Echo, you can follow us on TikTok, Tumblr, Twitter, and Spotify at etl.echo.audiobooks. ETL Echo, echoing tales of enemies to lovers.